Hey everyone, welcome back to Raising Healthy Eaters, the podcast. I'm Bridget, your host and founder of Raising Healthy Eaters. If you listened to our episode last week, you'll know that this is part two of episode seven in the 10 episode series on the do's and don'ts of feeding kids. Part one was covered last week. I split the episode in two because it was a little bit long, but if you guys don't mind those longer podcasts that run about half an hour or so, let me know and I will keep them all together in a longer episode for you. Last time we left off talking about the different components of a healthy mealtime environment and we went over the physical environment and then started with the structure of the environment and talked about the first three components of that ending with family meals. We're going to pick up where we left off and I'll go ahead and share the remaining components of the structure of meal times and then we'll move on to the third element and wrap up by talking about all of the benefits you can expect for your children by having each of these elements in place for you. So I hope you enjoy. Here we go picking up where we left off with the mealtime structure and component number four. Fourth is having enough time to eat. Being rushed reduces how much anyone can eat regardless of age. And this isn't just from lack of time, which means you might not have enough time to eat the amount of food you need in order to feel full and satisfied. But this also is a result of the stress that comes when we're feeling rushed because stress changes hormone levels in our bodies, which can reduce appetite. Being rushed, not having enough time can really reduce how much kids will eat. If possible, you want to allow anywhere from a 10 to 45 minute window to eat. I know that sounds like quite a large range and 10 minutes doesn't sound like a ton of time. So let me explain. This really depends on the age of your kid. So the younger ones, babies, toddlers, even preschoolers, are going to take less time to eat than your older kids. So my kids serve as good examples here because I've got about a seven-year gap between my youngest and then my second youngest child. With my little one, he can come to the table and eat what he needs to eat and be done in about 10 minutes, and he's good to go. Whereas my daughters, who are older, have arrived at the point where they actually will take as much time as it might take myself to eat a meal. So they can go up to that 45-minute mark of eating. And this makes sense from a number of standpoints. So if you think about the little guys, they need less time to eat because they don't have to eat as much. They have smaller tummies. They need less to fill them up and to meet their needs. And so it's easier for them to be done quicker. They also really don't have the attention span or maybe the communication abilities to interact with family and participate in the social interaction at the same level of the older kids. So you might have more elaborate conversations with the older kids, which takes time, right? It adds time to that total mealtime. Now, don't let the 45-minute benchmark stress you out because I do realize it's not possible to have 45 minutes for every meal. 
Mornings in my house are complete chaos and we might only have 20 minutes to eat in the mornings. In this case, what I do is give my kids the heads up that we have a limited amount of time to eat breakfast. We've got to be out the door at this time and so here's how much time you have to eat. And that helps them to know they really need to sit down and focus on eating and kind of minimize any goofiness or things that lead to kids drawing out meals a little bit. And so one thing you can do is set a timer for them that they can see. Our next factor of meal structure is the social aspect. We want to ensure a positive emotional tone or one that feels nurturing and calm with low levels of stress and anxiety. And I know this can be really difficult when you are dealing with fussy kids or feeding problems, but do your best to maintain positive interactions with your kids. And you might even consider implementing a rule that the table is a place for positive experiences and conversation. The sixth factor in the structure of meals deals with the expectations we set for our kids and perhaps everyone during a mealtime. What are the rules? How should they behave? What are the rules? How should they behave? Do you want them sitting in their chair for a specific amount of time? You know, rules around manners, interrupting people who are talking, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it might be for your family. And then you want to make sure that any misbehavior that pops up is addressed with a clear and consistent consequence. It could be just a quiet time in your room if they're upset about something or they're having some behaviors that are impacting the mealtime experience. Upholding these rules during meals helps to create that calm, peaceful environment. And our last piece of good mealtime structure is the feeding practices being used. Things like responsive feeding, everyone doing their mealtime jobs, no use of pressure, bribing, rewarding, restriction, forcing, etc. Basically all of the things I have been talking about in this series up to this point. And the last component of a positive mealtime environment is the food. The food itself is important and perhaps in ways that you're not expecting and maybe in some ways that you are expecting. So we have a few things we want to be aware of when it comes to the food we serve. And the first is choosing and serving a variety of foods that support the health and development of our children. And this doesn't only mean making sure they get lots of fruits and veggies and whole grains and kind of having those as the foundation of their diet. This also means offering different food textures and temperatures and colors and flavors so they get to have a variety of different sensory experiences which helps them be more comfortable with eating a variety of different foods and trying new things. But this is also an element that can impact how a child perceives the meal and if they decide to eat any of it or none of it. Because sometimes, as I'm sure you've experienced, kids look at something you've made and they're like, oh, gross, I don't want to eat that. That looks weird. So if you have different colors and textures and things, it can look a little bit more interesting and appealing to kids. We also want to make sure that whatever we're offering is developmentally appropriate for our children. So it needs to be a texture or consistency they can safely chew and swallow. This applies more to babies and toddlers and kids with developmental delays that impact their chewing and swallowing abilities or even their self-feeding abilities. 
Similarly, for this group of children or those who cannot serve themselves, you want to be mindful of portion sizes. If you are needing to put the food on your child's plate because they're too young or they have a disability preventing them from serving themselves, you want to make sure you start them off with a portion size that's suitable for their age. Make sure that you're not loading them up with an adult-sized plate because that often backfires. Food temperature is yet another thing to consider because kids tend to be more sensitive to hot and cold than adults are. I'll share another personal story with you here to illustrate this piece of things. My daughters have never liked even moderately hot food. And at this point, it's just too much for my toddler son to deal with because he doesn't understand that you can blow on your food to cool it down. So every hot meal, gets cooled down for them. And my husband thinks it's so strange that I'll take a hot meal I just cooked and put some of it in the freezer to cool off for the kids. And I don't know if I'm alone here or if any of you guys do that too, but it certainly happens in our house basically every night for dinner. Some food goes in the freezer to cool off until the kids feel like it's at a temperature that they're comfortable with. On the flip side, very cold temperatures can be unpleasant for kids as well. On days we would have ice cream after a meal, my kids would always ask me to warm it up in the microwave, and so the joke became that they liked ice cream soup. A strange little quirk of kiddos, but they're just a lot more sensitive to those extreme food temperatures, and so if you make sure it's at a temperature they're comfortable with, you increase the likelihood that they'll eat it, and it contributes to a positive and comfortable mealtime environment. The final consideration for food and final piece of the mealtime experience puzzle is role modeling. Our kids notice what we're doing and they are constantly looking to us to learn what's safe, what they can be comfortable with. So eating the same food you want your child to eat makes a huge difference in whether or not they will eat it. And I've got an experience with a former client of mine who had a two-year-old little boy and he was pretty selective in his eating. There was only a handful of things he wanted to eat. And so I came in to help them figure out how they could get him to eat a wider variety of foods. And it was really important to mom that he eat his vegetables and he just wouldn't touch them. Peas were like the one thing he would eat in the vegetable group. So after I got all of my information about how meals are handled and I I did my whole assessment and everything, we implemented this plan for how to increase the variety of foods he would accept. And we really had a focus on vegetables in the beginning. He was making some pretty good progress, but there were just a couple vegetables, I think carrots and what was the other one? It might have been celery. He just wouldn't eat no matter what. He was not going to touch those. Well, it turns out that mom herself didn't like vegetables. And so she often wouldn't have any vegetables on her plate. So this little guy was looking at mom's plate and seeing that she doesn't have any vegetables, but I have vegetables on my plate and I'm not sure about these and you're not eating them. So I'm not going to eat them. Then my focus became working with mom to help mom expand the range of foods that she would accept and helping mom to like vegetables so that she could eat them too. And once she started eating more vegetables, her son picked up with his progress and he began eating the carrots and the celery with no problem. That's a really great demonstration of how 
much role modeling can impact our children's decisions about whether or not they'll eat a food. And if there are any foods that you truly don't like, try not to say that it's gross or yucky because then your child won't ever want to try it. They're going to believe you, right? They're like, oh, okay, mom and dad say this thing is just not a good thing to eat, so I certainly am not going to eat it. We need to allow our kids the chance to try a food and decide for themselves whether or not they like it. I like grapefruit and so do my daughters, but my husband just absolutely cannot stand them. He does not understand why they're considered a fruit, much less why anybody would ever eat one. So one day we were all sitting at the table, I think having a snack, and I was eating a grapefruit and my youngest son was sitting right next to me and he's watching me eat this grapefruit. And he asked me if he could have a bite of it. So I go to give him a bite of my grapefruit. My husband's like, oh, no, you don't want that. Those are disgusting. I explained that we need to let him try it and see for himself. So he went ahead and had some of my grapefruit and ended up loving them. And now he often takes my grapefruit from me when I'm eating it. And my girls do, too. It's not something you would expect kids to jump on, but if I've got a grapefruit ready at the table, they all want it. And so the takeaway from this is that even if somebody doesn't like something, try not to call that thing gross or disgusting or yucky. Try to remain neutral about it so that any children in the home have the chance to try it on their own and and come to that decision themselves. And what you might do is, is make a rule that nobody can talk bad about a food that someone else wants to try. Or maybe there are certain ways to describe food that are off limits, like gross or yucky or disgusting. Maybe those are words that can't be used. Instead, they can say, I prefer not to eat that. So something that's a little bit more neutral. Those are all the elements of mealtime environment that influence whether or not it's a positive one. And I know this was a lot. There are a lot of pieces to this, and I certainly don't want you to feel that you need to run through a giant checklist of items before every meal and make sure everything's in alignment. It is not always possible to make sure each of these things is just right. You know, life happens, schedules become rushed, interruptions occur. Just the other night, in fact, I was really looking forward to sitting down at the table and just having an enjoyable, relaxing dinner with my family. But it ended up being hectic and disjointed. We kept having to get up to get things from the kitchen that I forgot to put out. Then one of the kids spilled something and we had to stop to get it all cleaned up. Then we had an unannounced visitor knock on our door. And I felt like I was squeezing bites of food in between all of the interruptions. And I felt more stressed than anything. I don't know how my kids felt during that meal, but I can tell you they were not exactly focused on eating. And one thing I had to do was remind myself that this dinner really isn't the relaxing experience I was looking forward to. But tomorrow is another opportunity for a relaxed family meal. Just move through it and try again at the next meal. And instead of beating ourselves up when things get off track, we just need to do our best to create a positive mealtime environment in whatever way is accessible at the time. Probably the best place to start is with the social aspect and how we interact with our kids during meals because that interaction alone can set a very positive tone for everybody. And this positive nature is important for the long-term goal of guiding your kids to become healthy eaters, by which I mean eating the right amount for them, 
eating a variety of nutritious foods and not developing any detrimental attachments to food or guilt and shame from eating food. And these might be things many of us have struggled with. If we want to prevent this for our kids, creating a positive environment at meals is a huge step toward that. A lot of studies have found that when the majority of mealtime experiences are pleasant, children, whether they be toddlers or preschoolers or teenagers, are more willing to try new and different foods. And they actually eat more fruits and vegetables and fewer sugary foods and drinks. Food fussiness declines with the little guys, our babies and toddlers, and even with the preschoolers, and they fully develop their eating and feeding skills as well as autonomy with these skills, which means they become more independent and they learn how to manage themselves around food. Then as children grow into adolescence, the risk of developing an eating disorder is lessened when the mealtime environment is pleasant. We also see that kids develop healthy eating behaviors that follow them into adulthood. So for example, they are better able to tune into their feelings of hunger and fullness, which allows them to eat the right amount. And mealtime environment is yet another way to help kiddos really build that self-regulation, which leads to their BMI or their body mass index, which is a measure of where their weight falls on a scale within the context of their height. That stays within a healthy range and they don't struggle with overeating or weight problems as adults. The overall quality of their diet remains high, meaning that most of the foods eaten are nutritious and they make significant contributions to health, thus supporting good health as an adult. And another interesting benefit I saw in the research relates to the fact that we often feed our children in a similar manner to how we were fed. Research has found that particularly for adolescent females, the elements that shape the mealtime environment influence how they end up feeding their kids once they're grown and have a family. And this is true specifically for the areas of the health value of the food offered, the level of distractions present, so TV, games, toys, and whether or not they eat together as a family. Um, the last benefit I want to share with you that is outside of the nutrition and health realm, but I think is equally as important, is that when all of these elements of a pleasant mealtime atmosphere are combined or aligned, parents and children develop stronger relationships with each other. And that is just so important to have because not only does it benefit everybody while they're growing up, but this allows for our children to do the same when they become parents. Okay, to wrap up our focus on the mealtime environment, I just wanna recap those elements of the environment along with the benefits. We have influences from the physical environment, we have influences from the structure of meals and we have influences from the food itself. And all of these things work together to either make an unpleasant or a pleasant positive mealtime experience. And we now know that those experiences over time add up to kids who are pretty well-rounded, you know, when it comes to food. They're good self-regulators. They eat just the right amount. They grow in a healthy way. They carry good habits into adulthood. They develop healthy relationships with their parents. So lots of good benefits coming from this aspect of mealtime. 
If you are feeling overwhelmed by everything I have shared, remember that the goal isn't for you to perfect each of these elements at the next meal. Simply pick one piece of either the physical environment or the structure or the food and just focus on that one. Practice it until it's a regular part of mealtimes, until you and everybody is comfortable with it. Then come back and pick another one to integrate into your mealtime routines. Over time, what you'll notice is the atmosphere around meals in your house will change in an increasingly positive direction, and you will see changes in how your kids eat. If you have questions about this topic or any of the others in this series, message me on Instagram or Facebook, and I will get back to you with an answer. I've included the links to our social pages in the show notes, along with the references used to develop today's episode. Thank you all so much for being here with me and listening to the podcast. I really appreciate your support. And between now and the next episode, I hope you enjoy a meal with your kids. 